thank you for being here with us today. We're excited to jump right into number two in this series, Celebrate. Number two, last Sunday we talked about the power of God or the presence of God rather being manifest in our praise. And so this morning I want to jump right in. If you have a, a, a bulletin, a message notes in the inside, if you would please grab those. We're going to be looking at those and filling in the blanks. And I'm going to ask if you would stand with me one more time as we read the word of the Lord together. The Bible says in Psalm 89, 15, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. That's basically the series text that we're using for this series of messages, three messages. And our review, it consists of one sentence. The purpose of celebration, celebration is all about the presence of God. Everybody say the presence of God. That's why we do what we do. Psalm 22, 3 says this. It says, but you, O Lord, are holy. You inhabit the praises of your people. The word means enthrone. It means dwell. It means join. It means marry. So when we lift up praises, God comes down, sits down, enthrones himself, inhabits, dwells, joins himself, marries his people. His presence comes. And how many know where the presence of God is? The enemy cannot stay. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. This morning I want to read. We have one question we want to ask. Is there a pattern for celebration that brings God's presence? Is there a pattern for celebration that brings God's presence? Okay, guys, if you would please, Psalm 100, put that up. And we're going to share that this morning. Let's read together. Here we go. On your feet now. Read it out loud with me. Here we go. On your feet now. Applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this. God is God, and God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love. Loyal always and ever. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you. We enter this morning with that password. We say thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we might live. Thank you for breath in our lungs this morning. Your word says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But we've come to do that today, not just to come get a blessing, but we've come to be a blessing. We've come with that focus this morning to... Lift up and worship you and minister to your presence. We've done that today. Thank you that Judah means praise. And even as the Old Testament prophet said, Judah shall plow. Thank you that praise has come and plowed the hearts of the ground, the soil of our soul this morning, to receive the seed of the word of God. As it's planted today, let it bring forth and produce a great crop and fruit for the kingdom of God. I acknowledge before you, Lord, and before this people that I can't do anything without you. Move in our hearts today and turn on lights of illumination. Give us, Lord, understanding so that we can be everything that you've called us to be. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory that is due your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord today. We're going to jump right in. We've asked the question, is there a pattern in the Word that will bring God's presence. We said last week that the whole purpose of the reestablishing, the rebuilding of David's tabernacle, David's tent, that one piece of furniture was recovered from the tabernacle of Moses. It had been separated for a generation, for 40 years. They had all of the accoutrements 
of worship, all the great stuff that you need down at Shiloh. But everything was there except the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which represents the presence of God. That's really like a lot of religion today that has all the stuff, the finery, the buildings, uh, all, everything that can do it in the latest way, but yet, and everybody else is showing up except God. And that's what I don't want. I do not want to go through the motions, to go through the religious motions, and do what we think uh, is pleasing to God, and then God not receive the sacrifice, and God not show up with his presence himself. So it's all about his presence. It's not about former style. So this morning as we jump in, we're asking the question, is there a pattern that brings the presence of God that I can enter into and enjoy the tangible presence of the Lord? We know, theologically, the Bible says that God is everywhere at all times. It's called his omnipresence. There are three things that describe the nature of God. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent. Theologians use the term ubiquity. God is ubiquitous. He is everywhere at all times in his presence. At the same time, there is this thing that we find in the Word called the manifest presence of God. When God comes into a place and it is tangible, it's, it's something that you experience that literally in your five senses you can you can you can you can sense that it's there, it's tangible. It is it's there are times the presence of God and his manifest presence. Is so very real that you feel like you could reach out and cut it with a knife. I'm thankful for that, that, that I don't just rely on the understanding or the theological truth that God is everywhere at all times, but I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who comes and brings the presence, the manifest presence of God into a place. He touches hearts. He calls his own sheep by name. People are regenerated and transformed. God answers prayer and folks are healed and provisions come and the promises of God are revealed when we reach out in faith. His presence is one of those promises. Is there a pattern that I can reach into the word and grasp and I can begin to walk according to that will bring that? The answer is yes. Number one, my first point this morning is that my access to his presence is all based on the finished work of Christ. Jesus hung on the cross. He declared the words, it is finished. Josephus gives the record of the rending of the veil from top to bottom. The six inch thick woven piece of tapestry that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Temple of God. Literally, God is saying in the rending of Jesus' flesh, God has ripped open access for all humanity to reach in and enjoy the presence of God. It's all based on the finished work of Christ. It's not on my righteousness or my merit or me earning it or deserving it or God basically favoring me and saying, he's pretty cool, I like him, no, don't let him in. It's all based on the finished work of Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. Number two, moving quickly this morning, because Jesus was the final and the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world is how John described it, recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Because Jesus was the final and ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, the sacrifices have changed. Everybody say, the sacrifices have changed. Say that. Now, I want you to understand this. At the finished work of Christ, when Jesus completed the righteous requirement in the law of God and the demand for the penalty of sin, 
Isaiah 53 is that amazing prophetic passage which gives us this picture of this root out of dry ground, this one who had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. Surely we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The prophet Isaiah said that 700 years before the event took place on Golgotha, on the place of the skull, on Mount Calvary. The sacrifice of Jesus, the once and for all, the ultimate, the one that ended all of the other 4,000 years of animal sacrifices that it had taken to access the presence of God, Jesus came, recognized that the blood of bulls and goats could never save men, could never purify from sin. The book of Hebrews clearly lays this out. Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice. He died. He put his New Testament into effect. I've said this before. He's the only testator who died to put his last will and testament into effect and then rose from the, from the grave, conquering death, to be the executor over his own estate. He's reigning. He's ruling at the right hand of the majesty of God on high right now. He's not going to be the king of kings. He already is the king of kings. He is not coming back to be the Lord of Lords right now this morning in the heavens. He is seated. He is sitting down in the throne. A man is in the throne with a ministry and his name is Jesus. He's there with a flesh and bone body, a resurrected body, sitting in the throne next to the Father. And the Bible says he lives to make intercession for you. He's praying for you right now. The sacrifices have changed. Now, it took a generation. Jesus said in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse, there won't be one stone left standing. He said, literally, this generation that's standing here will not see death until you've seen these things come to pass. I personally believe that was speaking of that literal generation standing there listening to him, hear those words, say those words that day. And within one generation from the time that Jesus was crucified, somewhere around 31 to 33 A.D., within 40 years, within one generation, 70 A.D. came and the temple was destroyed and the sacrificial system ended. That generation saw God bring a completion, an accomplishment, a finality, a finishing of the old sacrificial system of the old covenant, and Jesus Christ was forever recognized to be the final sacrifice. His blood was shed, his body was broken, and thank God we access his presence by the finished work of Christ. Yeah. The sacrifices have changed. David gave us a glimpse into the New Testament. These are listed here in Psalm 107, verse 22, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. The next one is sacrifices of praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Everybody say sacrifice of thanksgiving. Sacrifice of praise. And it's specific in Hebrews 13, 15. It says that this is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name in the King James. The fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name, the ESV. Thirdly, the Bible talks about sacrifices of joy. That's what we 
encourage you to have when you come in here this morning. The, the text for this whole three-part series is Psalm 89, 15. Blessed is the people who do know the joyful sound, for they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. There's something to be said for that Nehemiah 8.10 passage. It says, you've been drinking the fat, or you've been eating the fat and drinking the sweet. And he says, I want you to send portions for them for whom nothing has been prepared. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of you know when you've got some joy, it, it, it sort of rises up and undergirds you and it carries you and strengthens you in the name of the Lord? Sacrifices of joy. That means that you put your heart into it and, and you're joyful with it. And there's a joyful sound. As a matter of fact, the psalm that we read this morning in Psalm 100 from the King James says it this way. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. We are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. He is God. We did not make him. He made us. And he gives us some principles, sacrifices of joy. And now my head shall be lifted up, Psalm 27, 6, <coughs> up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Say it one more time. Sacrifice of thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Praise, praise, and joy. All right, now, I want you to grab this. We were sitting last Monday night in our Purple Book group. And by the way, if, if you've never done that, I really encourage you. It's a great place to jump in and get very grounded in the Word. The scripture says in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Too many times the people of God are walking beneath their privilege because they don't know all that God has done for them in Christ. And until you know that, until you heard that Jesus would save you, that's when faith came by hearing and hearing by the word, and you exercised your faith in that promise, and God reached out and took hold of you and transformed you, and you've begun your journey. There are all kinds of promises that come along with the promise of salvation. The writer of Hebrews said, I am convinced I'm persuaded of greater things for you and of things that accompany salvation. There's some amazing promises of God, but if you don't know they're in there, You'll never reach out and take hold of them by faith. If you don't hear them, you can't trust God to receive them. And if you don't trust God to receive them, you'll never have them. And you know, God wants you to walk in all that Jesus died for. Say amen. amen. We were sitting in our Purple Book group, and we're talking about the sacrifice of Abraham. And I said, you know, this is a really cool thing because we use a principle of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of interpretation. And it's, it's called the Law of First Mention. The book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And in the book of Genesis are the seed plots for what everything is going to be carried out when it comes to full fruition and the rest of the Word of God all the way through the Law and the Prophets into the Gospels and the Epistles and into the book of Revelation. The seed plot is laid in Genesis. And anytime you see a concept that is that is mentioned in Genesis or anywhere else in the Bible, the law of first mention gives us the concept, the whole full-orbed meaning of literally what that word means or what that concept or that idea gives us. The very first time the word worship is used in the Bible is in Genesis 22, when Abraham and Isaac are headed up to Mount Moriah, and he looks at his entourage that's with him, and he says, you guys stay here. I am the lad. How many of you know who Abraham's talking about? Everybody say Isaac. I and the lad will go yonder. I'm quoting King James. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Everybody say worship. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And notice, hear what Abraham's saying. He knows he's headed up there to sacrifice 
the promise of God. Because God is interested in showing Abraham whether he loves the promise of God more than he loves the God of the promise. Sometimes God will call you to a place of personal sacrifice to see if you love the stuff he's given you more than himself. See, that's the issue right there. So many folks in charismatic movement and TV Christianity are all focused on getting a promise. And how many of you know if you've got God, you've got all the promises yeah. written to somebody? Right? You need to know about them. You need to know about them so you can walk in them. But I'm going to tell you, the whole focus is not on seeking for your healing, but it's to seek the healer. And if you've got the healer, how many of you know the healing will come? come on. The law first mentioned. They go up and they sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. Everybody say worship. worship. So worship cannot be understood apart from the concept of sacrifice. We have to give God something that's going to cost me. I have to give the Lord something when I don't feel like it, even if it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving or a sacrifice of praise or a sacrifice of joy. David said, I'll bless the Lord every now and then when I feel like it. No, that's not what he said. I bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How do we access the presence of God? Because the sacrifice has changed. It's not about a bull or a goat. As a matter of fact, look at point three quickly. God's not taking my bull or your bull any longer. God is not interested in bulls or goats or doves. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, right up in the middle of this whole thing, God speaks through David and he says, and I'm going to take time to read this, just listen. Hear, O my people, Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your foes. Look at your neighbor and say, he ain't taking our bull no more. <laughs> That's, that has a little double entendre to it for a reason. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. God's got all the meat that he needs. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Look at your neighbor and say, keep your word. Keep your remember word. when you were in that tight place and you said, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that? Guess what? God remembers Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God and perform your vows to the Most High. Things you've made promises to God about, keep your word. And he says in verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God's interested in what's coming out of our mouths. Listen to verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Everybody say thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Praise, praise, and worship. Say it one more time. Come on, everybody. Like you mean to say it. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Point number four. You want to get God's attention? Sing. I bet some of you didn't expect that, did you? You want to get God's attention? Sing. What we read in the very beginning in Psalm 100, verse 2, the Bible says, Come before his presence with singing. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm over here in a place where I can look out and see everybody. And I see some folks during worship just... I got that Baptist deacon snake. 
Everybody else just singing, worshiping God, clapping their hands. No, not me. I don't do that stuff. <laughs> Is my moment of silence making you a little uncomfortable here? I'm really not trying to. You know, these things are in the Word for a reason. God says, come before His presence with singing. Well, you know, I just can't sing like you can, Pastor Michael. I can't sing like Brother Scott or Alexandra or Abby or Bernie or, any, or Greg or anybody else for that matter. You know, that's not even the point. The point is that you just open your heart and make a joyful noise to the Lord and just lift it up and begin to sing. Come before His presence with singing. This is God's pattern. When we choose to do that, God says, I will show up in your midst. And when God shows up, He will show out yeah. for you with His presence. Yeah. Come on, somebody. You want to get God's attention, sing. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you this as I bring this message down to a close this morning. Theologians believe that when God created this thing in the very beginning, that He actually sung it into being. Light be! <laughs> and light was. Let us make man in our image. Literally. Jewish theologians, Christian theologians have biblical substantiation to the idea that God is a singer. Some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me just tell you, he who is the chief shepherd and bishop of your souls, he who is the chief cornerstone of the temple of the living God is also the chief musician of the whole book of Psalms. Zephaniah 3.17, a little scripture tucked back into a very obscure place, says, The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. God looks at his people and he rejoices when he sees the body of Christ gathering to worship him. And he sings because God loves music and he, he loves joy and he loves praise and he loves worship and he loves thanksgiving. And it's not just to heap it upon himself in some kind of vainglorious way, but it's because he wants to fill the universe with the joyful sound of yeah. his kingdom. Come on. Yeah. That's it. We have a God who sings over you, who rejoices over you. Who's excited about what is going on in the work of the kingdom of God in your life? Number five, and I'm finished this morning. Celebration is stamped with God's signature. A threefold pattern Thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Thanksgiving, praise, and worship. There is this threefold pattern stamped all over the word body, soul, and spirit. The tenses of redemption out of Egypt by the blood and the water. Blood, the water, and the spirit out of Egypt through the wilderness into the land. Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, outer court, holy place, most holy place. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every one of those line up. Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. In the outer court, it's the brazen altar where the sacrifice is made, where Jesus became the Lamb of God and saved us. He is Christ in the holy place because the holy place speaks of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the outpouring of Pentecost. He is Lord in tabernacles. Every one of those, Passover was celebrated in Egypt. God applies the blood to your life when you're still in the world in the bondage of sin under Pharaoh, who is a picture of Satan. Forty years of wandering through the wilderness. They're just a couple of weeks into that 40-year experience, and God takes them to Sinai. He gives them Pentecost. 
They didn't get the law while they were in Egypt. They got the law when they are in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness experience of seeking God and learning to hear the voice of your Father that God writes the law upon the tables, the fleshly tables of your heart. It was a generation later because God had to wait until an unbelieving group said that the giants are too big and the walled cities are too high and they didn't go in and possess the land in Numbers 13 because they are too big for us. Two men, Caleb and Joshua, said, sit down and shut up. Our God is able, but God listened to the majority because the majority had a vote and they said, we can't do it. God said, I never did ask you to go into the land and do a feasibility study to see if you could because it's never about what you can or can't do anyway. You can't do this in your own strength. It's going to take me doing it for you. All I wanted you to do, the Lord says, is just go over there and see this amazing land I was going to give you. But because you've arisen in unbelief, every one of you will die and be buried in the sands of this wilderness until your children grow up and I will take them in to possess the land. It wasn't until they crossed Jordan and they got into the promised land that tabernacles was put into place. And he is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. 30, 60, 100, thanksgiving, praise and worship, body, soul and spirit. Yesterday, today and forever, past, present and future. It's all over the word. 1 John, little children, young men, fathers. What am I saying to you? We bring you into this place and we intentionally start out with something that gets your mind off of the junk you've endured this week. And we start singing, oh, praise him because I've got to enter his courts, enter his gates with thanksgiving. The Bible gives me a pattern. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and then into his very presence with worship. Say it again for me. Thanksgiving. Come on. Thanksgiving. Praise and worship. That's why we we go through this very biblical defined means of bringing you out of shaking off all the stuff that's attempting to distract you and you start to to sing and say things that are about the greatness of God and what he's done for you in your past. Thank you, Lord, that you rescued me from a miry pit of clay and you set my feet on a rock and you established my goings and you put a new song in my mouth, David said in Psalm 30. Thanking him. Let me tell you, you can't stay at your singularly attended pity party that nobody else shows up to when you begin to just give God a sacrifice of thanksgiving because you've got so much to be thankful for. And when you begin to focus on all that he's done for you, that it said in Psalm 107, oh, that the children of men would give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful deeds to the children of men. I got a reason to be thankful. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Come on, do you have a reason? Yes. I woke up this morning in my right mind. Some of you might wonder about that, but I did. I have breath in my lungs. My children are blessed. I can begin to go on and list all of the things that I have to be thankful for. And, and you know, Thanksgiving has a way of just sort of progressing you right into a place of beginning to praise Him. Thanksgiving thanks Him for what He's done. Praise begins to magnify Him for who He is. For who He is. For who He is. I begin in my body, then I begin begin to move to this area of my soul where I'm thinking and I'm thanking Him in my soul. But then when I finally enter into the fullness of His presence, the lights dim, I give myself away. 
I give myself away so you can use me. By that point, I've come through the pattern of thanking him and praising him, and I'm just enjoying him for who he is. And my hands are lifted and my eyes are closed, and I'm not worried about what anybody else around me is doing or thinking or saying, but I'm just worshiping Jesus. That is the presence of the Lord that will change us. Look, I'm not going through all that stuff. Don't even think that I'm taking the time. I put all of this on the bottom as substantiation for you to show you why we do what we do at Victory. It in every bit is biblical. All Christians will worship Him with the voice. <coughs> regardless of the denomination, regardless of the label that is in your robe of righteousness, you've come from some kind of group of people that sings. And it's because we all recognize that God says, come before my presence with singing. But a lot of folks never do see all the rest of the commandments of God and the use of the hands and lifting the hands in the sanctuary. Psalm 134, verse 2. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I would that men everywhere lift up holy hands in prayer without wrath and doubting. Lifting up holy hands. Clapping. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Playing an instrument. And then when we begin to move to where we start to use the whole body, then people really freak out. And this is still obeying the same word of the same God. To bow before him, to, to kneel in his presence, to, to lie down yes. prostrate before him and to worship him and even to dance before the Lord in obedience to what the word says. It's all there. I just want to encourage you. God is even not interested in you're doing all of those things. They can become the same stench in his nostrils like the bull and the goat if our heart is not in. So this morning, this is my last scripture, and I'm finished with this message today. I put in my notes, save this until the end. I, I jumped over it. If you look back in your notes, you will see where it says, Sacrifices of God, Psalm 51. Listen to this. This is the question. Is your heart or your spirit right with God? For you will not delight in sacrifice, David says, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. just want to ask you this question this morning before we close this service today. We've, we've done what I showed you. We've come in and thanked him. We praised him. We lifted our hearts and we worshiped him. We began in the body. We began to involve our soul. Hopefully every one of you in your spirit touched the presence of the Lord. But today, in the New Covenant, God is not any more interested in us going through the motions of that than he was in the Old Testament with people giving the biggest bullock or the best lamb if their heart wasn't in it. God says, you can do all of this and your hearts can be far from me. You can, you can go through the motions. You can, in, in the same way that you can bring the best down to the tabernacle and you can bring it to the priest of the Lord, to a Levite, and... They can slit the throat of that bull and they can throw that big bull up on the altar and it can just roast before God and your heart cannot be right toward the Lord. But it looks like everything's right on the outside. So this morning I would ask you, even in my attempt to, to teach and to equip and to show you what it means that there is power in the presence of God, that all of this is all about bringing His presence to touch this city. It's, 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 it's about the fact that, 
that when we come in here into this place on Sunday morning, so much of it has to do not just with how well the band does, but it has more to do with where all of our hearts are. Come on, we can, we can, we can have everything perfect and every note just right and the, the lights are all coordinated and everybody, the, the, the slides are in the perfect place and man, the harmonies are just spectacular and it can be empty and void of the presence of God. I don't want that. I want Him. Like Moses said in Exodus 33, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. You've got to have your presence Lord. Like David in 2 Samuel 6, he was tired of a whole generation of a king before him, Saul, that had the whole soulish, soulish religious system, but it was void of the presence of God. David said, we've got to go get the ark and bring it back. We've got to have the presence of God in this place, in the heart of the people in the capital city of Jerusalem. We've got to have the presence of God in this place every time come together. 1 Corinthians 14 says when those who come in and don't know God and the presence of the Lord is here, they'll leave saved. Truly God was in that place. People, that's why, that's why folks are getting saved. That's why in the second service today we're going to be baptizing five. Exciting. This message, its teaching is finished. I've done a good job. I can sit down and say, Father, I delivered the burden of the Lord. But now the job is on you. Is your heart right? Jesus. Are you in a place in your life where you're just going through the motions? God's not interested in understanding everything I just laid out. I may have created some questions for you. Not any more than he's interested. Because he basically says, look, I got all the beef I need. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need your burnt offerings. I'm not going to take the bull any longer. I don't need it. I don't want it. And let's just get real here. God's tired of our bull when we go through all the motions and our heart's not right yet. He said, I'm not taking a bull from the house anymore. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That God will never despise. If you would bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Your head bowed, every eye closed. As we end this service today, I just want to ask you this question. Is your heart right with Jesus? Are you ready to receive him? Are you ready to meet him? If he walked into this room in his physical flesh and bone body today, and he looked in your face, would you be ready to meet him as your Lord? God provided for every one of us the sacrifice that was final. It was ultimate. It ended all the others. And that was his broken body, his shed blood. I personally deserve an eternal hell. It is by the sheer mercy and grace of God that I have any ability whatsoever to stand up before you today and to proclaim this amazing good news that Jesus Christ loves you and he saves you. Not good enough, I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it. But I'm thankful that I heard the word and it changed my life. And he began a good work in me and he's promised to never quit it until I see him. Has God started that work in your heart? I believe he's calling his sheep by name this morning. Are you sensing the presence of the Lord drawing you? Is he saying, get your heart right with me? You know what? 
His law is very, very clear. It demands perfection. I can't do that. If I break one part of it, I've broken it all, and I am in danger of eternal destruction is what the word says. But if I'll just turn and put my trust in him, he says that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's that simple right there. If you've never crossed that line of faith and you would like to say today, Pastor, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Lord. I want to know that my heart is right. I don't want to just go through the religious motion. But I want to know Jesus Christ. I want his presence to fill my life and to lead and guide me. If you'd like to be included in this prayer today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you would just slip your hand up this morning. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to bring you to the front this morning. Anybody at all? The room, yes, thank you. What's that one? brother and sister, anybody else today? All right. You've been walking with the Lord for a while. You know what it is to reach a place of dryness and just go through the motions. Maybe something was said today that you feel like you need to take action on and get a fresh start in your life. To say, you know what? I don't want to play games. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to enjoy the fullness of the presence of God. And I can only do it with getting my heart right. I want to confess sin Make it right. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're a believer. You've been walking with the Lord a month. You've been walking with the Lord 20 years. If you'd like to be included in this latter part of this prayer, would you just slip your hand up this morning? Is there so? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you today for my brother and my sister, the two on the front end of this prayer that said, I want Jesus to save me. Thank you, Lord, right now as they pray in their heart and just say those three simple words, Jesus, save me. Thank you, Lord, that you rush to meet them. There is no distance in prayer. They take that one step, and you, you rush to them, all of the others. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you reach down, and you, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you do a work of regeneration. Make what was dead now alive in Jesus' name. In these two who said, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. I cross that line of faith. I turn from my sin. I turn to you. Lord, for those at the end of this thing who said, I'm in a dry place. I, I want to get my heart right with God. I, I, want to, I want to be broken before the Lord. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, that you do what none of us can do. Lord, there are people in this room who are broken because of the things they're struggling with. Jesus, I thank you that you reach out in love and mercy. and You pour in the oil and the wine of God to comfort and to strengthen. Lord, and to adjust Father, that we can walk according to your word. Lord, I pray for an infilling, a fresh outpouring on this day of Pentecost today, that you would just pour in and infuse us with the Holy Spirit again and afresh. Lord, that we would not go through the motions. Lord, that we wouldn't be offering any kind of sacrifice and our hearts not be in it. Touch us and change us, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.